are listening to KGNU, Boulder, Denver, and Fort Collins. And right now in our studios, it is 8.35. Welcome to our Colleen Trans Panel discussion this morning. I am your host, Rosanna Longobetter, and here we are today experiencing the effects of a warming climate already with extreme weather events and an increased number of high heat days. As we report recently, the reduction in snowpack and earlier snow melt. And to talk about what the actions Boulder County is taking to prepare and adapt in the face of climate change and how to care for the most vulnerable in our communities, we have in studios this morning Marina Lagrave, recently hired as the Climate Equity Specialist for Boulder County, it's such a pleasure to have you, Marina. Welcome. Thank you, Rosanna, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. And also we have Alejandro Murillo, who has been working as a cultural broker liaison with the Boulder County Office of Sustainability, Climate Action and Resiliency. Welcome, Alejandro. Thank you, Rosanna. Happy to be here. It's so fun to have you, especially to talk about this hard topic, but I think it is important to really understand what we are going through and how to prepare ourselves, and especially to take care of those that are the most vulnerable in our communities, low-income communities, minorities, people that are much more exposed, as you know. And we saw it with the Marshall Fire. I just want to make a little point here that in one example of what we were able to see is that with the Marshall Fire, a lot of the residents living in mobile homes, they didn't have enough insurance in their houses. They were either underinsured or they didn't have any insurance. So they were really exposed. And from what I know, Sister Carmen people, they, they told me they were not even accessing the basic needs. So it is urgent that we address this topic of climate change, but with the understanding that the most vulnerable are always these communities that are set aside, that are marginalized. You both are uniquely qualified and connected with a community. Marina, you have translated thousands of scientific documents, including IPCC international and national climate change reports, and you understand cultural differences and nuances. How is the county preparing to support our most vulnerable communities that are already showing signs of being threatened by climate change? Thank you for that question, Rosanna. As, <clears throat> as you well said, we're here to serve and prepare the community to um, be able to overcome the, what the scientific community is predicting to be a very hot summer. Um, so, you know, as the heat approaches and uh, the climate change a uh, climate crisis accelerated uh, the boulder county public health um, recommends um, to prepare uh, for <clears throat> what is to come uh, when temperatures reach up to 105 degrees for more than one day that's what we call a heat wave so everyone is at risk uh, of heat related illnesses during this heat wave so overheating yourself so to speak so as we know the most vulnerable uh, people in our community as you mentioned are uh, communities of color underserved communities athletes people over 65 years of age and also workers who work work outdoors. You know, we have a lot of construction workers on our roads, on our, um, um, on our road system outdoors. So it is important to have, number one, to, to really look into the, the information that for preparedness. You know, there's many sources on websites. And for those who don't really use technology as a source, we are making sure as leaders in the community to make this resources readily available. So there's two kind of resources here. One, understanding what a heat wave is. So you make a plan around your daily lives. For example, if you go, uh, if you work outside, what should you bring? So you most definitely have to prepare yourself uh, for that, uh, for that, you know. What do you do indoors? So you have indoor preparedness, um, closing the blinds or blocking your sunny windows, avoid using the oven during the day. It may sound silly, but, you know, it really makes a home warmer. 
dressing lightly and with bright, uh, you know, um, not dark colors, but bright colors. It helps what we call albedo. Taking a cool shower in the middle of the day also helps you keep your body cool. So there are a lot of tools. I mean, I could go on and on, but there are a lot of tips uh, that the county has prepared for everybody to really um, be be safe. But, you know, mostly is drinking fluids throughout the day. I think that we have, we will be seeing people with water bottles more commonly and, and, and coming out and, and sending your kid out to school with a water bottle. I think that's important. Avoiding caffeine. Caffeine and sugar really uh, dehydrate our bodies. So that's something also to keep in mind. And, and, and again, uh, keep hydrated, stay on the shade, stay as cool as possible. Um, I could go on and on on these, but again, we have websites and we have brochures and information readily available for the community to understand. And most certainly reaching out to us in the county and in the city of Boulder so we can, you know, uh, point you in the right direction. Marina Lagrave, Climate Equity Specialist for Boulder County, talking to us about the heat wave that we are already experiencing today. It's hot already and It seems like it's going to go up to 91 degrees. And we are just in June. This is not August. So we are already experiencing this heat that was not here when I first came to Boulder 20 years ago. It was cool. Now it's so hot. And the most vulnerable populations, they don't have a cooling system in their homes. Because if we really talk about our communities of color, they live mostly here in Boulder County because the houses are so expensive in mobile homes and in apartments that do not have the cooling system. It's a reality. Yeah, they're not well-insulated properties. Mm -hmm. Yes. But Marina, you went in right away into giving the advice, so I appreciate that so much. Now, the advice is, is given, but how do we take this information to our community? We can translate tons of things, but how do we communicate these needs to them? you as the specialist and that understand these nuances? Well, this is not a work that you do alone. I mean, I will defer to Alejandro, who is leading a wonderful effort through the color, uh, CJC. And, you know, him, together with a group of community leaders, um, were working to really bring climate equity and climate justice, which is precisely an answer for you. So I will defer to Alejandro <laughs> to so, uh, answer a little bit about what we're doing to really make sure that the community has access to this information because what is, is truth be said, you know, um, we have the resources now. How do we really bring those resources to the most vulnerable and make sure that they're safe, that they're Uh, being um, valued mm -hmm. and they're giving the resources that they need to be resilient and to really uh, survive. We're talking about survival uh, here in, yeah. in, in, in this it's instance. Co it's completely what yes. you're saying, survival, because before um, you, were, you came here to the station and we have been having conversations, you mentioned to me that the, that the county is planning to have cooling centers. So that when the weather is, like you're saying, 105, 110, 115, that I hope we don't get there. But if it happens, people need to go to a place that is cool in order to survive. And I think you mentioned something interesting that, you know, the county or the city has these resources. Now, Alejandro's work is to really elevate the community's voices so they are self-advocates and they have a sense of agency for their well-being as well. So they're not just waiting for resources to get to them, but they're also going and uh, requesting what they need. And I don't want to say demanding, but in a way, yes, demanding that the resources are equally shared and they really are able to... Um, to not understand the resources, understand the system, and get the help that they need. So if we're talking about cooling systems, the, the county most certainly has programs and has the funding to provide support to a household and families to be cool. Um, as we know, trailer parks, uh, a lot of these trailer parks are poorly insulated. They date from the 1960s. So these are, you know, uh, homes that are not safe at all during a cold uh, snap or a, a, a hot 
heat wave. So, you know, the cooling systems, I hope that Alejandro can talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that. So, Alejandro, uh, Alejandro, yes. it is such a pleasure to have you here in studios with good energy and from the community. So, Alejandro, you're originally from Venezuela as well as Marina, but you moved to Boulder at a very early age. You were just how old? I was about three years old. Three years old. And you study geology at CU Boulder, and you have also been working to find solutions to climate change through the lenses of equity and social justice. Why is it urgent to create a culture that is inclusive and centers on the voices of those that have been silenced or traditionally excluded and marginalized? Yeah, absolutely. I think the big driving system or model that I, I tend to use is this idea of targeted universalism. Uh, this idea that if we center around those who are traditionally excluded, um, those who are most vulnerable, most impacted, um, and usually left out, that we actually create better policies, we create better systems, um, we, we create more effective programming um, for everybody. And so in order to really create a system like that, though, you have to be inclusive, you have to be diverse, um, and it has to be equitable. There, there is really no getting around that. So as um, we move forward with that, uh, Boulder County, some of the partners around um, the county, other municipalities and local organizations, we've gotten together to create um, a space that is community-led, uh, where the members can be themselves, do the work that they're doing. And a lot of this is actually based off of some of the great work that's been done at the University of Colorado through the FLOW system, Um, some of the work that's been done in the city of Longmont through their equitable climate action team. Um, and we're just kind of taking that to the next level, where, as Marina mentioned, um, we, can, we can get to a place where the community members feel empowered in this process. Uh, and one of the beautiful things is that as we include more voices, more diverse voices, the, the level of creativity that comes out and arises is incredible. Um, as I said, you know, once we start centering these voices, we, we really create programs that benefit everyone. Um, it really is more than just targeting a small population. Mm -hmm. And the answers are coming from within the community, not being, you know, told what to do. And, you know, people don't like to be told what to do. Exactly. And, and we see, I mean, with the data, right, that even communities of color care so much about climate and climate change. Um, but one of the things that I think they feel is they, they don't feel empowered to actually be a voice in the community to have the leadership and, and this is what we're trying to create so that everyone can can have a voice and be a leader here. And you mentioned two uh, groups that uh, are not government precisely but uh, but are but that belong to the community. Can you talk to me about this climate collaborative? Yeah, so so the climate justice collaborative um, as I as I mentioned community led it is a a group of There are government representatives there. There are um, local leaders, essentially grass tops leaders, as we like to call them. But we're also getting down to the grassroots. Um, and the idea is how to work to empower some of these communities um, to the point where we, we, we have deeper community engagement than, say, like a one-off focus group. Um, these communities, they know their needs. They know what they're capable of doing. But sometimes what they need is just access to the resources and capacity. And so through the deep connection with government, um, we're able to, once again, create programming that is effective. It's um, quick and it's all built off of trust, really, is what it is mm. in relationship mm. building. And I'd like to add to that, uh, which Relationship I love. and trust. Huge. Yeah. Yes, Marina. <laughs> Please explain to us how you're going about trust and building community, too. I wanted to first recognize a word or a phrase that Alejandro highlighted is tapping into the community's creativity. I mean, we come from DNAs of survivals. I mean, when you look at the Mexican-American community and the DNA of, of this culture that comes from the Mayans, you know, talking about aqueducts and talking about water, you know, uh, the resiliency and the knowledge is there. It's just really bringing that knowledge about to create timely and culturally appropriate solutions. Sometimes this community or our community members have more understanding of nature-based solutions than what government would have. And so it really is balancing the power approach of, you know, um, 
traditionally, you know, having these colonialist frameworks of solutions to underserved communities saying this is what you need and this is how we're going to help you instead of elevating the community's voice and saying, what do you know and how can you be provide solutions to your problem and how does that look like? So I think this is key to keep in mind. What I'm doing, you're asking, well, I'm definitely tapping into this younger and um, uh, generación de relevo, as we like to say it, right? <laughs> you should translate that because you are a translator. <laughs> so it, it is the upcoming generation of millennials who are really uh, thinking differently, looking at problems under a different lens. So the first thing I'm doing is listening and learning what, what are the, what is Alejandro doing? What, what is he thinking about? What are the students at CU, you know, we're talking about the Masters of the Environment students. I do talk a lot to those students. The FLOWS program, as Alejandro highlighted, you know, uh, these are all led by young the younger generation, the millennials. So we first have to listen to these upcoming rising leaders of top grass leaders, as Alejandro was saying, and to the community themselves. And what I'm trying to do through the OSCAR office, Office of Sustainability, Climate Action and Resilience, is really align the programs that have been developed that are on the resources available. So they really are aligned and of easy access to these communities. And what better partners than, you know, the members of a CJC kind of committee or members of the community themselves, HOAs, uh, rising leaders. I think this is, I'm just very excited of the work that's happening at county and city level so that we can really come to the table as Latinos or communities of color and really have these discussions about this is what the challenges that we're experiencing and these are the solutions that we're thinking about, mm, you know, mm. and really empowering those communities to figure out also their own solutions, right? While also bringing the resources that we have readily available for them and the tips that we have, and maybe we have new tips, right? So enhancing what we have, it's just all about growing together and facing the climate change crisis as a united front. That's, that's how I'm really looking at this position. Marina, you took part in the city's creation of Boulder's first racial equity plan. And you were moving during the pandemic to start a group that brings Latino families close to nature. Um, and this aligns perfect with what Alejandro was mentioning, that is, you know, the flows, the um, climate justice collaborative that I was also lucky to interview when they were looking for somebody to help, you know, move the conversation with all these leaders um, there's so much to talk, but I want to stop here right now and just say that I'm having a trans panel discussion call-in show, and we have our interns here to answer phones and help us bring the voices of the community, those questions that we want, and I want to make sure that I give the phone number. So you're welcome to join the conversation. Please call us at 303-442-4242, 303-442-4242. If you are someone who has experienced firsthand the devastating effects of climate chaos or know about somebody that has experienced this phenomenon, we would like to hear from you. So call us at 303-442-4242. Here we have two experts with a lot of information that will love to answer your questions. Again, 303-442-4242. And I have prepared a lot of audio for you also to reflect because I was able to go up to Calwood and there I interview the training captain firefighter. And it was so fantastic because he took volunteer firefighters there to train in Calwood. And Alejandro, you're going to like this because you're, you know, all those were these young people training and working so hard up there. Let's listen from the training captain. My name is Fritz Koch. I'm the training captain on Boulder Roll Fire and the chair of the Boulder County Cooperators. We are at Calwood Education and we are training the next round of wildland firefighters. So we have 35 students here that have been in class for three days and now we have two days in the field. And they're learning to use their hand tools and how to simulate uh, firefighting um, without live fire. How does a person sign in for this? How do you get to where these people are right now learning how to deal with wildfires? 
each of them is a member of uh, one of the volunteer agencies and some of the career agencies around Boulder County. And so they've signed up through the course, uh, for the course through their agencies. Agencies provided the um, gear that they need, and uh, we come on out and do what we do. And what are the requisites? How can people sign in for this, learning how to deal with a wildfire? Well, the, we defer to the agencies. Um, if, if you are a member of the agency, um, for whatever reason, then um, as long as the agency endorses you, covers your workman's comp insurance and so forth. But this is the entry-level class, so you really don't have to have any background whatsoever to do it. We stress that you need to be physically fit because obviously we're hiking up and down a lot of hills and um, working hard throughout the day. But uh, yeah, anybody can sign up and join us and we're whole volunteer fire world is lacking firefighters at this point. So we take all we can get. I know it's not easy at all. Uh, I recently interviewed Marina Lagrave, who is right now uh, serving as the climate specialist at Boulder County, and she is in charge of trying to really figure it out how to get to our communities, how to inform to the most vulnerable communities about how to deal with the heat waves that are coming, because it seems like this year especially we are not in good shape. If you can speak about how you are preparing for this. Well, uh, we were off to a very early start. We didn't expect to be fighting fires. You know, we started with December 30th, uh, before the year even ended, with some of our worst fires in Colorado history. And we got a little bit of snow after that, and we were pretty much fighting fire all the way through spring. This class we usually try to get done before we really hit prime fire season, and yet we've already had a significant season. So... Drought is something that we're watching and unfortunately we have very little control over. So it's a matter of just trying to stay alert with your weather conditions and um, what's going on with the environment and try to uh, increase staffing whenever possible. And so we'll look and, uh, for example, the next several days are lining out. So we have been broadcasting the weather every hour up here so that in a real fire situation, everyone would know, hey, this is the change that's going on throughout the day. Then we have a longer-term look on that, and we start looking two, three days out and you know, six months back, and down to a week back, and just try to make the best of it. We're just more the responders that, uh, that are out there. We have very little control over, you know, we can't make this stop, but uh, we can do our best to deal with it. Here in Calwood, there's like a way of preparing the land or trying to manage the land so that way you get less exposure to fires. Is there any recommendation that you would like to provide for those that are living up here in the mountains that is urgent? Absolutely. Well, there's, you know, wildfire mitigation um, will come up. And if you look around, you'll see many of these trees don't have the lower branches on them. Those have been cut off. And those are what we call ladder fuel. So that prevents the fire, if it's just a simple fire down in the grasses, from crawling up into the trees. So mitigation and removing trees and thinning um, is, is a huge part of it. And one of the simplest things that I recommend for homeowners is to walk around your house and look anywhere that you're collecting pine needles, leaves, anything like that. That is where the wind is swirling, and it's collecting those leaves in that spot. If you have a fire near you, the exact same place is where the embers are going to land. So now you have that receptive fuel bed, and you're potentially dropping an ember right into that. And... That's where you're going to have your most problems. So when you find those spots, clean those up, but also pay attention to everything about your home construction in that location. Do you have gaps in your siding? Do you have vents in the roof? Do you have anywhere that that ember could kind of nest in and, and start a fire? As you're describing them, I'm getting super worried because in my house I have all that that you're just describing. How can people get more advice, personal advice, if they are having questions about their buildings? Uh, easiest way would be to reach out to your local fire department, and they probably have full staff ready to come out and do a home assessment. Boulder County has a number of groups that will um, offer their services depending on where you live, but start with your local fire department, and they can point you in the right place. Finally, just to wrap it up, if you can describe what this group of people, these volunteer firefighters, have been doing today. A whole day in Calwood. I'm sure they're exhausted. Well, we started with a couple hours of instruction of saying this is 
the different hand tools that we use in the fire service and this is how you use them appropriately and while that was happening we had some other firefighters going around and creating a simulated fire and so they created a little mock fire perimeter up here on the hillside and then we bring in the crews and say all right this is your fire now anchor flank and pinch is one of the terms that we use you create an anchor point and then you flank the fire and you pinch off the head of the fire one of the techniques that we use and so then they're just led with instructors who are um, also firefighters leading them and answering all their questions and showing them how to do it correctly and safely. As we were walking up to find you, to find your crew, we just saw that you have the ambulance down there and it's running. It's on. Why do you have it on? And is that part of this learning process? Not so much part of the learning process as uh, just a, a safety consideration that I wanted to make sure if somebody were injured that we had the means to tend to them immediately. And so we um, have asked the ambulance and um, AMR has been um, very kind in donating the, the service to be here for the full weekend. And so they have a firefighter and a paramedic, or I'm sorry, a um, EMT and a paramedic staged here. And we're going to simply provide them a little dinner and thank them for their services. And thankfully, we have not needed them. But uh, very glad to have them here. Last message that you would like to send it out there. Maybe there's somebody else that would like to be part of this group of volunteer firefighters, especially now that we're getting these heat waves coming and we need to get ready. Well, I guess kind of going back to where I started, reach out to your local um, fire department. Um, if there's a volunteer department in the area, if you're in, living in a city, you probably have a career department. Our website is bocofire, B-O-C-O fire.org, and we post courses there all the time, and many of them don't have any prerequisites, so um, there's a little contact us link there that comes to me, and I answer any questions that I get, so happy to help however we can. So mm -hmm. sign in, huh? A lot of work, though. Absolutely. But worth it. It always feels good, and it's just something that Colorado and throughout the West really needs at this point. Really needs it, huh? So that was, as you heard, training captain chair of Boulder Firefighters, Fritz Koch. And, uh, you know, he is, he's talking about that there's a big need of support. We need the whole community to really come together. I just want to uh, make sure that I mention that you are listening to KGNU, Boulder, Denver, and Fort Collins, and here we are in our Trends panel discussion today. We have two guests, Marina Lagrave and Alejandro Murillo, and we just heard from the training captain firefighter up in Calwood, and let me tell you, when I was there, it was already so hot, and there were a group of young people, and that's what I said to to Alejandro. Alejandro, I kind of picture you up there already doing this work, and you already have a lot of work, so I'm not adding it, but really, there is a huge need, and pre people are preparing. This is urgent. We have to take action. So... Besides the programs that, that you already mentioned, like Climate Justice Collaborative, I know that there's another thing that you're working on that is energy smart and also the sustainable food and agriculture funds. Why? Because as the weather gets hot, we're also going to lose our crops. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to start with the energy smart um I, I've really just been helping to try to transform that program. It was a very traditional program, which serves a, a huge need of, of getting homes um, to be energy efficient. But what we really found was that we weren't serving those um, most vulnerable, most impacted, uh, and that were least likely to reach out for resources. So now in, in this current day, actually, Marina and myself, um, we're helping out folks at the county to improve that program while continuing the great service that it provides. Um, in addition to that, in the, the built environment, which is what we call it, is, is the PACE program, which helps to um, focus on businesses, essentially. And they have their fantastic small business equity program, which has done a great job of pivoting, changing, um, looking to community leaders and, and cultural brokers to, to lead the way, in not only just in community engagement, but in activating our community members um, and we big, give a big thanks to people like Berenice Garcia Tellez, who's now over at the city of Denver, um, but also our great colleague right now, Norma King, 
who's really leading the way here in the city of Boulder. Uh, I'm so glad that you're mentioning her because we also have a little, you know, piece of the interview I had with her. And I think I'm going to play it. But I want to make sure that I also tell my listeners because, you know, we have our interns here waiting for your calls. Please call us at 303-442-4242. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions. And since you have mentioned Norma King, I think I need to at least play some of what she is saying to really communicate the amount of resources that are there for the community, especially if they want to rebuild and, you know, move to a much more smarter energy source. Can you explain the difference between facing a forest fire and facing a residential fire? Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it used to be part of our nature uh, way to renew, uh, per se, the, the, the old trees. But now with the global warming has become a threat, a real threat, because also... Uh, with the possibilities of facing now the, these floodings, you know what happens when when these fires, uh, the the landslides, it becomes repeatedly is possible to happen during the winter or when the spring, when the water, the the snowpacks start start to melt. This phenomenon can create these flowings that we have been going through. And also now, the, with the increase of the temperatures, we are facing this risk of fires happening in our neighborhoods, something unreal and never we were imagined for years that that was uh, that what is happening right now, the, the devastation that like the Marshall Fire in the past New Year's year. What a sad way to start this 2022, but in the same time, it's a wake-up call for all of us that that we all have to to act together is to put in place what is happening right now the government is is right now putting in place some legislation um, passing bills to protect the environment and also to for new codes to build new houses and new properties but the problem is and this is what i have heard from the community they are extremely worried because this is going to be more expensive for them. So building a home or renovation from a home is going to be more expensive. So what is the county, the city doing to support these efforts that are in a way wonderful, but at the same time, now they are being forced into our new way of life? Yeah, and that's why probably it's better for all of us to be proactive because that must be um, right now um, a rabbit hole for many of the people that lost everything because many of them were underinsured. So the insurance didn't cover the whole thing. So there are happening some, some new um, uh, grants available and new programs offered for people rebuilding building their houses in these areas and i will mention a few of them like uh, their grants uh, if, if you meet the international energy conservation code 2021 standards you can have probably a homeowner owner can claim like uh, 7500 or if you home has the the requirements from the energy star certifications uh, 10000 can be applied to that as well. Or for me in the Department of Energy, zero energy rating, which is all what I uh, we discussed before about all the things in different ways to, to build a house, uh, saving energy, having the, the exterior uh, more fire resistant uh, with the right envelope to conserve uh, the energy and temperature. So 17,500, uh, I believe. And also uh, the passive house standards is another thirty seven thousand uh, dollars. There are more. It's, it's a lot, all, all of them. And for people navigate this, it's a little, a little complicated. That's why my advice also is um, 
is to consult and, and click in the in the new Boulder County uh, Rebuild Better website. That's uh, keep in mind this name, Rebuild Better. Rebuild Better. What, yes, that gives you a, a guidance about how to navigate these resources because they, we have resources, but it's how to claim those. And, and it's still very new. The, the Boulder team is uh, onboarding new specialists, new people that can navigate and they're specializing these kind of topics to building houses in a green way for the Marshall Fire impacted residents. So uh, I would recommend to start uh, learning about all these offerings uh, through that website and, and subscribe yourself to the newsletter. You just heard from Norma King. She's bilingual sustainability advisor for PACE, Parents for a Clean Environment. Is that correct? That's great. If you really think about it, that we are trying to really bring you know, who is involved. It's amazing. And you just heard from her. There's so much support and money to really help people that I wanted to make sure that I bring that into this show today because it's not only that that resources are available, but there's also people like us, bilingual, that understand the nuances of our communities and how is it that we can support them And more than that, why is it that we, our communities of color, low income, are the ones that need the most support? So, Alejandro, if you can just give us, you know, some idea of how this this work is done hands on, like people go to their to the uh, businesses, to the houses. How is it done? Yeah, absolutely. So in the case of of people like Norma, They do one-on-one energy advising with businesses. So they do go to the businesses themselves, talk to the business owners. Um, And the beautiful thing about a person like Norma King is that she can do that in the person's language if they're a Spanish speaker, um, which just instantly creates the next level of trust and further movement. Um, In terms of uh, home advising as well, we have a program now. We have reduced that program a little bit, but we do have um, an online energy efficiency advisor. We have somebody that you can call and and it's really a great one-stop shop. If you have any questions about how to improve your home's energy efficiency, you can go to this team. Um, They'll respond and give you all the resources that are available in the county. Um, As well, at at the state level, there is a fantastic group that I really like to promote, which is called Energy Outreach Colorado. And that is for people who are low income um, and might be struggling with paying rent or paying the bills. Um, Maybe something is broken in their house like their heater, or maybe they just need more energy efficiency upgrades, like even receiving a new refrigerator. Um, And these people will come in. If you qualify, they will do it all for free. They do all the work. They make sure to find the contractors. They make sure to do all the heavy lifting for you. So all you have to do is just call, fill out the application, and sign up. Excellent information. Alejandro Murillo, He is a broker of climate, and we also have Marina Lagrave today, and my mind is going into people. Call. Please call us and ask questions. The phone number here for this call-in show today, this morning, in our public affair is 303-442-4242, and we're having a fantastic show. I am excited about bringing voices of the community and also exposing this reality that we in the middle of December, we had a Marshall fire and people are experiencing still this lack of security of what's going to happen if it happens again. And at the same time, if we reflect on this, you know, normally from my experience, my life experience, when I was in my country, Ecuador, we saw again and again, many times, prescribed fires because those are healthy for the ecosystem, but not the fires in our neighborhoods. So more and more with this climate, I get worried about, am I having my house ready if it happens that we get one of those chaotic fires or winds and high temperatures, it's really difficult. Marina, I know that you have been talking about that 
a lot. And uh, you recently talked with Rafael Salgado, who nicely let me go up to Calwood and interview the firefighter. And then he walked with me and showed me how the land is green and packed with flowers. It's gorgeous now. If you can talk to us about the importance of connecting to Mother Earth and, you know, this reality that we have, because we cannot stop it. The climate is changing. I just love that you went up to Calwood and had that time there with Rafael and looking at the at the resiliency of Madre Tierra, Mother Earth. She she will she will thrive regardless. So let's remember that climate change is human caused. And we have this sense of disconnect. We have learned to live within walls. And we have this sense of security and safety, especially in this country. It's not the same uh, in Latin American countries where we do have shortage of water and resources. But the false sense of safety that water, there's no water, there's no drought inside our homes. We have water regardless. But what's really happening out there to Mother Nature, when you really walk a trail, when you really pay attention to what's happening around, then you look at the impact of climate change. Um, with this spirit, you know, and I think that it's disconnecting to reconnecting with Mother Earth so that we can really get in check with Mother Earth. So understanding also that our giving and taking for Mother Earth really has an impact on, on Mother. And, you know, from the intake, what we eat, uh, what we do, uh, how we go to and from places. Every action we take as humans has an impact. And, you know, you, you know, someone um, would think, well, I'm just me, but you and a million. So it's millions of people impacting Mother Earth. So with this spirit, I think that Mother Earth is the greatest teacher of all. She's t telling us what to do. She's guiding us still how to really survive and how to really thrive. When you look at fires and the impact of fires in the front range and the loss of trees and really it impacts everything on that ecosystem and in our access to water. I mean, when you look at floods, what happens to a mountain when all the roots of those trees are gone so mm. we don't have the retention of, of the land so we have mudslides. So it is really... A, One one thing impacts the whole system. It's the whole system. Marina Lagrave is speaking this morning here in our Trends Panel discussion show about climate change. We have a call. Michelle from Denver. Michelle, are you there? Yes, I am. Please, do you have a question, yes. a comment? Well, I have a couple comments. Well, I mean, just one little thing is that I, I keep a bucket under my sink, and when I change cat's water, I pour the water in the bucket and use it for plant, water plants. But I, I wonder if, who's doing energy-efficient building. I do not, because my house, I did an addition, a 300-square-foot up-and-down addition a few years ago, and I used very energy-efficient um, uh, materials and techniques, And I don't even need a fan. I don't have air conditioning in the summer, even when we have multiple 100-degree days. So I know it's possible to build energy efficiently. And I just wondered who to go to to talk to about that. Um, uh, you know, who, who uh, well, I suppose in the city or, or in the cities. Um, Does anybody have any, you know... What a good question, Michelle. Thank you so much. And yes, I am pretty sure that here we have these two experts that can answer that, that question. And thank you so much for sharing what you do. I'm going to start doing the same. Sure. Yeah, uh, great, great question. I think there's, I mean, so much good there. And it's great to hear that you're really taking the initiative in your own home um, to create essentially yeah, a passive home that doesn't use as much energy And, and to be a model for the rest of us. Um, I, I'll be honest that in, in Denver, that's where you're calling from. I'm not totally certain of the resources that are available there, but here, as I mentioned before, in Boulder County, um, we do have Energy Smart, so you can go to energysmartyes.com, uh, and I'm sure they will actually be able to direct you to any resources in Denver if you need to go through that. 
I'm pretty sure they will guide you. That's for sure. I didn't hear what he said. Energy smart something. Energy smart. Yes. Dot com. Y E S. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate that because I'm putting together. I'm hoping to put it. I'm trying to put together a present or you know information about what we did in the house here. Mm, that's fantastic. Thank you, Michelle, for your call. Sure. And good luck. And yes, connect with Energy Smart. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bye. Fantastic. So we got a first call, and time is flying as always. And I just want to make sure that we don't miss listening to Rafael Salgado. Yesterday night, I was putting together this beautiful piece from him speaking and it's going to be I'm I'm advising my listeners not to leave us if you want to call us to talk about climate change preparedness the plans and especially here in Boulder because let's be realistic Boulder County and also the whole state of Colorado we are so prepared don't we have NOAA don't we have the University of Colorado don't we have when I was looking at this preparedness plan this was done in May 2012 It has been preparing. We have been preparing for this. The smart people here in this place, they have been already ambitioning, planning the future to face what we are facing already. It's so hard, but it is so true. And I really want to acknowledge what you, the, your remark about the scientific community and how the scientific community supports our understanding of the changes happening around us. Um, you know, NOAA, for example, is a key partner in our efforts. You know, they just recently did a climate model that really informs, you know, the more at-risk areas in our county, in our region. Um, so then this model really guides a lot of the efforts and outreach and resources and which communities are more vulnerable to climate impact. So, but then there, there, there is the unknown variables like the Marshall Fire. I mean, this model was out there before the Marshall Fire and then we knew we had droughts, we knew we were having high winds, but someone ignited. I mean, whichever way that fire started, that chispa de, de fuego, you know, that that, that um, flame fire really, you know, made it a perfect storm and, you know, we know the aftermath. But the scientific community together with the, the community at large, we, again, as we were talking at the beginning of this presentation, which this very painful uh, fire that really displaced over a thousand families, uh, is really is now looking up the aftermath, like including the the Calwood fire, what's next and what should our next steps be? Mm. You know, from that caller, Michelle, thank you for calling to what do I do in my household and how do I become a better advocate for the planet to really looking at, you know, what's next? You know, with the Marshall fire, for example, there's so many lessons that we have learned in terms of, as Michelle was mentioning, you know, having a more sustainable home. So the homes that will be rebuilt in the area of the Marshall Fire, there will be really be under certain specific codes that will protect that area for future fires. Marina, it's almost like we have to evolve. Huh? This is our moment to really change, I mobilize, and evolve. Let me take yes. you now to Rafael Salgado, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a trip up to the mountains. I'm taking the whole audience, our listeners, up to Calwood. Uh, Rafael is a master teacher to all of us. Sí, pues este entrenamiento empieza allá en Boulder, ¿verdad? Eso o sea, está organizado por con gentes expertas. Entonces, este es una colaboración de bomberos allí de en Boulder, que es los organizadores. Entonces, todo lo que es este la teoría se hace en la ciudad, en salón de clase. Y ya la práctica, si vienen aquí sábado y domingo, aquí acampan y, y todo, ¿no? Aquí comen, aquí les damos de comer en Cowood. Y, y prácticamente lo que hacen es hacer simulacros, ya sin fuego, ¿verdad? Pero sí todavía este, hacen líneas contra fuego, que son excavaciones, ¿verdad? Que se hacen para marcar, para que no se brinque un fuego de un lado para otro. Entonces, esto ya mañana lo van a rehabilitar porque, pues, como es un simulacro, también, también queremos este, no dañar mucho el bosque cuando se hacen esas excavaciones. Entonces, es importante, ¿verdad?, que, que sigan estos, estos entrenamientos porque lo que más vamos a necesitar en un futuro va a ser más 
combatientes, más brigadistas, porque estos de los incendios van a seguir pasando. Esa es la planta turros a la que está creciendo por donde quiera. Mira, sí, es en todas allá. partes, ¿no? Sí. Mira que y ese es bien especial, sí, mírale. Las están bien bonitas. Sí, como, como que como guardan cubitos. agua, ¿no? Hey. Mirando la montaña y veo pues donde se quemó. Si nos puedes decir cuándo pasó esto y cuánto del bosque se quemó. Sí, este incendio, que fue un incendio pues fuera del calendario, vaya, de los incendios, pero ahorita pues ya están sucediendo en todo el año, ¿verdad? Antes eran los veranos. Este se dio el, el, un día 17 de octubre del 2020. Entonces fue fuera de lo normal. Fue un día, era un día muy este, caluroso, con mucho viento, donde había dos incendios masivos también, uno al oeste y otro al norte de nosotros el Cameron Peak y el Troublesome Fire. Entonces, desgraciadamente también este sucedió este incendio de ese día, del día 17, y fue un incendio rapidísimo. Se quemaron 10.000 acres en solamente cuatro horas. Entonces, es algo que es increíble. O sea, tuvo que haber estado las condiciones, ¿verdad? Para eso que fue el viento y el calor y la sequía. Y sí, desgraciadamente, Kiawa tiene 1,200 acres, entonces este, se perdieron la mitad. 600, bueno, no se perdieron, se quemaron, ¿verdad? Porque de esos 600 que se quemaron, mucho de ese bosque, especialmente en las áreas más bajas, se está recuperando muy bien. Entonces, porque el fuego fue un beneficio para, para muchos de, de esos acres, ¿no? Pero en las laderas donde... Había mucha densidad de árbol, pues ahí se quemó el 100% de los árboles. Y bueno, justamente eso es lo que están haciendo ahora para prepararse. Estos voluntarios bomberos vienen a practicar aquí, vienen a tratar de ver cómo puede prepararse la tierra para enfrentar los incendios que lamentablemente se está esperando que van a suceder más continuamente. En especial en esta época en la que estamos en Colorado experimentando una sequía bárbara, como nunca antes. Exactamente, y desgraciadamente, como decía, ya están sucediendo los incendios en todo, en todo el año, ¿verdad? El de Martian File, desgraciadamente, también fue un incendio enorme, y eso sucedió pues, a, a finales de diciembre, ¿verdad? Que es algo muy raro. Pero sí, este, yo soy originario de México, México también hay muchísimos incendios ahorita, desde el norte hasta el sur. Entonces, este, esto es ya global, ¿verdad? Esto ya no es nada más de un incendio, dos por año. Ya son muchos en todos lados. Muchos en todos lados. Rafael Salgado, Executive Director of Calwood Education Center, talking to us this morning in Spanish, because this is native language about the situation that he sees uh, with climate crisis that is global. global. It's not only happening here. He mentioned that it's also happening in Mexico, and it's sad because there's fires all over the world. Marina, what else would you like to complement since you are a translator and an interpreter of what touched you? You know, when I walk with Rafael, looking at the new flowers that are just coming up in Calwood. I just really love that segment with Rafael, you know, hearing, uh, listening to the water flow and talking about flowers and, and how resilience, um, the whole 10,000 acres on fire at Calwood uh, fire on, that happened on October 17th, 2020, and how in two years we are seeing the rebirth of a new ecosystem. And as he mentions, you know, this is happening, you know, not only in our region, but in every state, when you look at the national climate change reports, you look at the impact of climate change in every state throughout the nation. And when you look at the IPCC report, then you look at climate change impact around the globe. The one overarching um, 
topic here is water water if we don't pay attention to water then we are in big trouble i think the droughts are the lack of water so this has really resulted in making our ecosystems more and more and more vulnerable um, as with the Calwood fire and as with the marshall fire and the fires around our nation and the globe it's water is lacking water is the center and Alejandro Murillo, I want to just make sure that you bring us also to this idea that Rafael Salgado is saying as I walk with him. Do you know, Rosana, that these fires, you know, we used to have prescribed fires here in Calwood. He has been there for more than 20 years, and he used to welcome firefighters to to do that, to do prescribed fires. And those had to stop. And... You know, that's very connected to the indigenous communities, I know. So if you can speak about why is it that our most vulnerable communities are facing the most devastating effects of climate change? Yeah, thank you, Rosanna. I think that's a, it's a beautiful connection there, especially with prescribed burns, um, being indigenous knowledge that we're really all trying to get back to, especially considering that we are living on stolen land at the moment. For me, one of the big things about sustainability and climate action, we talk about systems change and getting at the root of what is really going on. And when you look at it, the roots between social injustice and climate change are exactly the same. And that's that our belief that we can essentially exploit each other and that we can exploit the natural world. Um, and as Marina was saying earlier, you know, nature is our teacher. And nature is telling us right now that what we're doing is not sustainable. It's not something that we can continue to do. So we must find those root sources and do the work that is necessary to learn, to acknowledge, as I said, our, our, our elders, um, the indigenous people that lived here for so long and were fantastic stewards of the land, and, and move forward to involve those communities of color, indigenous communities, low-income communities, as they all have shown a great connection to the land and, and great interest in, in helping out in this whole process. Alejandro Murillo this morning talking to us about climate change and, you know, this profound concept of what we have done, not living connected to the land. And we also have Marina Lagrave today here talking about how we can prepare and evolve. Marina. Uh, I want to also highlight that one of the greatest impacts on underserved communities uh, with climate change is not only the heat and the lack of water, but air quality. Uh, this is something that we need to address and um, we need to, um, you know, make sure that we are also recognizing the need for our community to engage at the state level to reduce the sources of emissions in outside and, uh, and, and in county lines. Uh, I think the residents and the community has a critical voice um, to really, um, when we talk about carbon sequestration and when we talk about uh, the, uh, the air quality uh, uh, control. So, you know, there's the Regional Air Quality Council and the Air Quality Control Commission, and they both play important roles in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and both take public comments at their meetings. Um, it is super important that we, uh, I think earlier this week, we had a really poor quality, air quality, that really, you know, the community was asked to not go out and, and spend too mm -hmm. much outdoors. We started in Boulder County, what we call a movement now, Explorando Senderos de Boulder. We really saw that the Latinx community was not really on the trails, enjoying mother nature and enjoying the vast number of trails in our trail system. So this group is really grassroots. This is a group that started with just a couple of families asking, can you take us to the trails? And so we committed a day of the week uh, where we, you know, from every Saturday from 1 to 3 p.m., we walk a different trail in the county. This has resulted in, in community uh, engagement, and but, but community agency. You know, we've mm. done 72 trails, and the beauty of it is that the families now go back to the trails to not only enjoy them, but also see climate impact and come back with more questions about why is it so dry? Why are these trees dying? Mm. 
I really want to thank you. Time always passes so fast. Alejandro, I want to make sure also that you invite community to join those groups of climate activists, young ones that are fighting and rebelling against what we have done to you guys. Yeah, thank you, Rosana. Um, yeah, if, if you're curious about learning more, please reach out to myself or Marina. Um, my email is A-M-U-R-I-L-L-O at bouldercounty.org. I'll let Marina explain her email. It's uh, M. Lagrave, or Lagrave, M-L-A-G-R-A-V-E, at bouldercounty.org, yes. So we have been talking about how Boulder County is taking action on climate crisis with initiatives to help the most vulnerable residents prepare and adapt to climate change impacts. I want to thank you, Marina Lagrave and Alejandro Murillo, for providing such valuable information And this has been a call-in trans panel discussion show, and I have been your host, Rosanna Longobetter. Stay tuned for two and a half hours of music, of sound alternative with Shona this morning. And thank you so much, Shona, for giving us these extra minutes this morning of your beautiful show. Mm -hmm.